Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Feng Shui finds a way, the Hong Kong Film Archive gets haunted, and we look at the films Helter Skelter, Dread, and Frankenweenie. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to, back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. It is Wednesday, October 24th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from his super-secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Uh, hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, sir? Good. Good. I, uh, I'm a very... Uh, I don't know if, if Matt Saito is here, but... Uh, my my San Francisco Giants uh, are going to the World Series, so uh, I'm a very happy sports fan today. Oh, okay. So, uh, were you uh, watching the uh, game, as it were? I was listening to the game because you know we don't have. It's, it's hard to watch baseball here in Hong Kong. I guess mm. you have to have yeah, a certain number of paid channels. But uh, yeah, I was following on because uh, it was a holiday yesterday, so I was following on ESPN Radio and uh, and and looking at the. Um, the little game day animation thing with all the pitches. And uh, I know that Mr. Saito was uh, was very mad at me for being a supporter of the Oakland A's while they were playing against the Detroit Tigers. And now the Giants are going to play Detroit Tigers. So um, sorry, Matt. Uh, I know you're not around and uh, you might not like me anymore because I'm a Giants fan. But uh, I look forward to the Giants kicking the Detroit Tigers' ass. So will we call this the uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Giants game or... <laughs> no? the giants are not hitting sir we are we are we are we are coming and uh yeah we're gonna be world champions again all right yeah. well good luck to them uh, i know absolutely nothing when it comes to sports of any sort um i i i'm i'm totally uneducated in that area so i i wish you luck in your veneration of your team um for me uh, it's been a bit of a disappointing week uh having technical issues my wife's computer died the other day, so we are now looking at replacing that. And I woke up this morning to find out that the iPad 3 I just bought not a couple months ago is now out of date already. Uh, this is the super enhanced cycle of technology that we now live in. Uh, and so, yeah, we've got a, a, a new uh, iPad mini coming onto the market and a fourth gen iPad coming onto the market within less than a year of the release of the uh, third-gen iPad. And I wonder if this speaks of a future trend. We were just talking a minute ago about, you know, what what can we expect as consumers now for uh, a fifth-gen? Are they going to be on a six-month cycle now? Are they going to be releasing one every six months? Or is this a one-time-only thing? Um, and the other interesting thing, too, and I got into a little bit of a discussion with some folks on Twitter about this, was the new IMAX. Um, they've taken another step in pushing away from optical drives. And as I was saying, I'm still, my umbilical to the optical drive, the DVD drive, is my movie collection. I have to have something to, you know, uh, play movies on. So the new IMAX, they look super nice, super sleek, super slim. But they've taken, part of the reason they can do that is because they've taken these drives out. And in a sense, it makes me wonder, are they doing it solely for the aesthetic or are they doing it because in the back of their mind they know they're going to be able to charge you know upwards of a hundred dollars for you know one of these optical drives as a peripheral accessory and um sort of stick it to uh, the, the the apple fans out there of which i consider myself one um so some no, frustrating I myself, news i myself would, would still need an optical drive i mean that's really one of the big big things about not switching to an apple computer is because yes i need a blu-ray drive yeah i still need a blu-ray drive and i when i have a laptop i still kind of want a dvd drive because i still have to operate a lot on yeah. on disc well, i mean especially as 
as someone who has a lot of movies um, or who rents a lot of movies and who gets a lot of movies by by this. I mean, it's it's important that I need to put these movies in my computer. Yeah. At these days. Yeah, and, so. and I do understand that, you know, they are primarily concerned about their own sort of ecosystem. And for them, the HD movie means the HD movies on iTunes and things in the cloud. But uh, for me, I still need a way to get the stuff that I have on physical media into cloud-based media uh, some way. And uh, so, you know, that just kind of makes me think twice about uh, maybe doing an upgrade of any of my devices in the in the near future. Um, but that's neither here nor there. We're, we can We can cry about technology another time, I guess. For now, we've got uh, some films to talk about this week. What are we going to be talking about, Mr. Ma? Uh, for East Screen, I will be talking about um, Helter Skelter, the Japanese uh, comic-based film. Uh, and for West Screen, uh, we'll be talking about Dread. And, uh, and Paul, you will be talking about Frankenweenie. Yes, Frankenweenie, the return of Tim Burton. Uh, all of that and much more coming up right after a little bit of news. <laughs> All right, uh, so we've got a couple news stories this week. This first little bit of news, not really a news story, more of an announcement. Uh, the Hong Kong Film Archive is going to be having a, a special program called Haunted Screen, Hong Kong Ghost Films, and this is going to be happening uh, at various periods throughout the month of um, November. And they've got five different screenings uh, programmed from um, uh, for this program uh, at different times of the month, um, including the films The Living Corpse, uh, Midnightmare, Love in the Red Chamber, uh, The Shadow Boxing, and The Dead and the Deadly. And I, I think probably listeners of this show might recognize um, The Dead and the Deadly, uh, the Sammo Hung film uh, from many of those, right? Have you seen any of those, Kevin? Um, no, but, uh, I, I'm just looking, sorry, I, I, I wrote, actually, I, I translated that introduction of the program. Oh, you did? So I'm just looking at it again. Okay, so do you know the, the, the programmer? Uh, yeah, Wei-Ping? I talk, no, I, I, um, I know the programmer at the Hong Kong Film Archive, and, um, she wrote, she writes all the introductions in Chinese, and I yeah. just translate, but this movie is, uh, guest curated, so, uh, by Wei Ping, it's a film scholar, and this held in, um, conjunction, actually, with, um, academic conference in Lingnan and another school was that yeah. right I think exploring horror movies she was one of the speakers at the con the film conference that I was at earlier this year ah. and uh, she you know, she was giving a talk at that time on um, on uh, Chinese vampires and she had a very interesting conference and then she I talked to her with her a little bit after her presentation and she told me they were going to be doing this program and she'd email me uh, when they got things together and so she emailed me a couple days ago and, uh, you know, told me it was coming out, and I checked it out, and I thought I'd announce it here on the show. I've actually emailed her back, seeing if she wants to come on uh, on a future episode of the, the program here and uh, talk a little bit more about, you know, the work she did and in putting this program together. Um, I haven't heard back from her yet, but hopefully we'll hear back from her in the very near future, and uh, we'll get a chance to do, you know, a little bit of a Q&A session with her. So if you're going to be in Hong Kong, um, these films are running from... It looks like uh, November 5th through November 28th. Um, and, you know, some of these are not that easy to come by in terms of, uh, you know, um, DVD media. So it'd be, if you're interested in horror films and Chinese films, uh, this would be uh, one you want, might want to check out. And like the introduction says, um, it's true. And, I'm, and I didn't write this, so it's totally not self-promoting. A horror film is, is really truly a genre that has never been seriously analyzed. Um, it's always kind of, dismissed as like a, 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 how do I say, like a funhouse genre, right? Yeah. It's never uh, taken seriously as something, you know, that, that actually has messages or that represents things. And it'll be interesting to watch these movies and um, see what we can see beyond what we see on the surface, you know, which is ghosts and, and spooky stuff. It could be saying a little more than, than, than we, we initially saw them. So, it, yeah, it's a very interesting program. So you're going to be in Hong Kong. I'll check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes and uh, hope to see you there. I'm going to definitely try and make it out at least to a couple of these. You know, the thing about the film archive, though, is if you live in the new territories, it is a pain in the butt to get to. It is uh, It is just you kind of got to have to work your way around through all the different public transport systems to get there. Um, unfortunately, from where I'm at, there's no real kind of direct route. 
and uh, it takes it's it's very time consuming uh, but it's a it's a great service that they do and uh you know i always try and support them when i can all right uh, you've got a little bit of news about uh, the film feng shui and uh, the tokyo film festival now it's kind of been in the news quite a bit of late because of you know what is it the whole senkaku dayu island uh, dispute that has sort of spilled over and affected this festival right is if if i'm understanding standing things correctly Yes, the Tokyo International Film Festival just opened uh, this past weekend. And one of the competition films is this Chinese film called Feng Shui. Um, now, the, the, the um, dispute that we're talking about, I mean, happened, what, last month? I think, what, near late September, I think? So, so it, it's not like, and, and that was the time when, you know, the competition was already announced and people already knew that, especially the production side, of course, they would know that their film is going to Tokyo. But what happened was that they waited until Thursday, which is two days before the festival opened, to hold a press conference to announce that, oh, because of this dispute and the, the Japanese right wing's refusal to, um, to, to correct this dispute, uh, we're going to pull the film out of the competition. Um, this has caused a lot of controversy, not only in, uh, not only in, um, uh, in Japan, uh, the festival, but also in China itself because... Um, apparently, there's some kind of an Im- internal dispute between um, the executive producer and the film's uh, real producer and slash artistic consultant. Because after they, the 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 production company, one well, of the free production companies, announced that they were pulling from the festival, um, the the film's artistic consultant, Chef A, uh, who is a very much a, a veteran character in the Chinese film industry, wrote a long blog post, um, essentially against the whole whole idea of using you know linking art and politics together so and then that actually got a lot more um positive response than the than the than the um the withdrawal itself meanwhile in tokyo the festival first said that they never received a official withdrawal notice from the production company so they said they weren't they weren't going to um pull it at all and then by Monday, which is I think the day that the film was going to be shown, or the day before that was going to be shown, they changed. They kind of changed the tone, saying that look, we had a contract. Um, they can't just withdraw, and the festival has a responsibility, obligation to show good films, especially films that are, are that you know we have a contract with. Um, so the film played, um, and essentially anyone that were that, that represented the film couldn't go to the press conference because the production company put pressure on everyone that could have possibly gone, including the director, the the actors, even the um, Taiwanese cinematographer uh, couldn't go to the press conference. But the film was supposed to be really good, and um, it's sad that it had to be kind of linked to this kind of po- political conflict. But the sad truth is this, this little conflict and this little stunt probably helped the film get a lot more publicity in China um, because that's just how it goes you know politics becomes linked with every every layer of of every industry in china yeah. in a way and um, it's interesting too because you know if, if this film was released a year ago or or maybe a year from now it might not have had any of this difficulty right because this yes this stuff comes right. and goes yeah yeah this stuff comes and goes and if if this had been another competition another time not within these two months it would be fine and it seems like for the producer, this this seems to be a a, a good opportunity for him to raise attention. Um, it, it's um, it's too bad. Um, because if it is a good film, and what I've read online, uh, people who saw the film are saying that it is a good film, and it's just too bad that it will have to have its name um be tainted by by this this kind of external circumstances. Hmm. But in the film, I mean, in the end, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm glad that the film did play, and I would just like to see what what happens when the film does win a prize. Um, will will what would the Chinese side do? Will they just deny it? Will they refuse it? Um, or will they just sort of you know put their head down and say you know thank you? And it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right. Well, uh, you know, hopefully they will uh, they will do well not only at uh, this festival but. At festivals to come. Um, all right, next bit of news is not really news. This was just a silly link that I got sent on uh, Google Plus from, <coughs> excuse me, some people I'm following. Chinese Super Mario movie. Uh, 
let me let's see if I can link this in the uh, chat room. And uh, oops, and uh, let the guys in the chat room have a go at this. Um, I I didn't I just you know this is a very short like almost like a trailer for a film that uh, I guess some students were trying to make, and, 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 or maybe a small production company. But but it comes across as like Mario meets Sleeping Dogs. So if you've seen you know any of the film or any of the previews for the the video game Sleeping Dogs, which is sort of like a Hong Kong version of a GTA, and you've seen, you know, you've played Mario, you mash those two things together, and this is kind of what you get. It's, it's really weird, and, and it's kind of funny. They use, um, they use uh, golden mushrooms, you know, gum goo, which people will uh, use a lot in hot pot over here, uh, as sort of like the magic mushroom from Mario Land, and it's like a drug or something. It's, it's really kind of a wacky take uh, i i got a kick out of it and uh if you were a video gamer i think you you might too um and it, it's just kind of it's it's one of those things that you're only going to find on youtube and it, i think it's worth uh, taking a look we'll put the link later over on the show notes too um but uh just go to youtube and do chinese super mario and it's like the the second entry i think and and take a look at it. did you get a chance to watch it kevin I've seen it. I, I think um, someone else put a link. I think a couple of weeks ago, and um, thought that it was made in Hong Kong, but actually, it looks from the the, the Cantonese accent. Um, Somebody was saying I mean, New York, I mean, the really bad Cantonese. Yeah, uh, it sounded like it was made in like Chinatown, New York. Yeah, yeah. a bunch of uh, Chinatown kids. So, yeah, go watch as uh, Mario defends the honor of uh, Princess Peach, who's also Chinese. And it's weird because they Chinese switch American. they switch between English and, and Cantonese. But you're right. Chinese American. Yeah, you're right. It's not a. It, it it's it's kind of a weird slow Cantonese. Yeah, uh, but it's fun nonetheless. Go take a look. All right, our last bit of news uh, about Koji Wakamatsu uh, passing away. You have this for us, Kevin. Yeah. Um. Just this couple of weeks. It's just um a lot of sad news. Um. Actually, I, I should probably add also uh Yash Trapa, um one of the most essentially one of the most famous um, producer in the producers and director in the Bollywood film industry um, also uh, passed away earlier this week from uh, I think Dangu fever um, he was almost near completion of his latest film but then he was hospitalized and then he passed away in a, in a hospital um, earlier this week um, but also before that um, Japanese director Koji Wakamatsu, um, who started out his career as a as a as a pink film director, but um, has made some very famous film, especially starting in eight, late nineties. I mean, late uh, late nineties, early no, I think actually late two thousand. Sorry, I uh, started making more politically active films and had a huge comeback in the last couple of years. He was in um, involved in a taxi accident um, about a week ago. I think mm. about a week ago. Uh, unfortunately, a, day, a few days later, he passed away from his injuries at the age of 76. So, um, a, fa- a very sad week in the Asian film world as two of the most respected figures um, left us. Um, but both will have, you know, both have films remain. Uh, Ryash Chopper's latest film, Star Trek Khan, Japtet um, Hijat, I think, I forgot the name, but it will come out for the Diwali period uh, in mid mid November. Also, um, Wakamatsu's uh, final film, Millennial Rapture, which I saw this past weekend, actually, um, w- premiered, I think, in Venice and is still traveling the festival circuit. So we still have um, some, some chance to watch the, the final films of these masters. Uh, and if anyone, anyone wants to um, watch great Wakamatsu films, uh, I would totally recommend um, Caterpillar, a, a, a drama about a uh, post... a what how do I say the wife of a uh, very very wounded uh, soldier who comes back from the war, uh, essentially about his arms and legs, um, and also United Red Army, a uh, three-hour epic about the uh, Red Army movement in the in the late seventies uh, in Japan. Both are really excellent films, and I would recommend them. All right, I think it's time to move on and uh, talk about some movies. So let me play this. So we've got one East Screen film for this week, and that is the Japanese film Helter Skelter. Um, so, Kevin, you're going to tell us about this. My question is, does it have anything to do with the Beatles? 
Uh, no. Well, okay. because the Beatles didn't come up with the term Helter Skelter. And I did. And turns out Helter Skelter is in the dictionary. I didn't realize this. I had no idea what it was. Yes, I too thought it was just a Beatles song before this. But yes, um, thanks to Miriam Webster, I realized what it means. But anyway, Helter Skelter is the second film from a very famous photographer named Nino Gawamika. Who is very, uh, whose first film was Sakuran, starring Anna Chia about the, the brothels of, of uh, Edo, Japan. Um, she's back in the present now, um, making this, this, this um, movie based on a, a comic book a, about a superstar whose entire body is essentially created through plastic surgery. Um, Erika Sawajili, a very controversial actress, I'll go into that later, here plays Liriko, a kind of a superstar who is both a model and also on TV and actually just kicking off her, her acting career. Um, she is, of course, very pretty. She's essentially a symbol of beauty in Japanese pop cultures. Uh, the film has scenes of you know, schoolgirls you know, seeing her face in magazines and talking about how jealous they are of her beauty. But what something that uh, not many people know, only her, her manager and only her stylist know, is that um, Nico's beauty is almost essential. Is almost entirely created via plastic surgery, um, and actually, the the surgery is so complicated that that she needs to regularly see see her surgeon uh, to to get additional surgery and also to to take pills to actually maintain that body. But um, of course, nothing lasts forever, and uh, Nico's body body is starting to. Um, uh, it's starting to fall apart in a way, you know, kind of growing spots everywhere, uh, mainly just growing spots. Essentially, it's starting to go rot because her skin is actually not, it's actually pretty much like dead skin. So her, she's starting to lose her beauty, and of course, she's also starting to lose her sanity. Meanwhile, a policeman, um, Makoto Asada, played by Nao Omori, um, he is a, a policeman who's been actually eyeing this this clinic for a long time because uh, he's suspicious of, of the, they, they might be engaging in illegal activities to, to do these surgeries. Um, so he's kind of watching on the sidelines, almost commenting, waiting for his moment to strike, including using Lidiko as a, as a kind of um, using her as a as witness or using her as a case study. So, um, you know, Mika Nirogawa, I don't know if you, you probably wouldn't, how do I say, if you've seen, you don't really know who she is, but you've probably seen her pictures, uh, her photos. Um, she shoots very colorful photos, lots of flowers. Um, I put up a link. I tweeted a link, link I think, last week. Uh, photo shoot with uh, Fan Bingbing, and that's essentially um, uh, her style. And she definitely knows how to make things look pretty, um, very pretty. But I think that's all there is here. Um, because the film actually has a lot of shocking moments, because Lidiko is kind of a... A very narcissistic, very much big star thing who would who torment anyone who works with her, including her manager. And um, there's a lot of shocking things here happening, um, including actually nudity. Uh, Sawaji, Sawa, Sawaji, Erika's uh, first role of nudity, and there's a lot of um, sex in it and other things like that. But somehow she made all that look very boring. I don't know why, because beyond the con- basic concept of Rico, this this fake human being, you know, who is the symbol of beauty, fake beauty, starting to fall apart. It doesn't really go much further than that. Um, uh, can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, you know, not having seen the film, but hearing your description of it, I'm wondering, do you think the director was going for that intentionally as sort of a parable of the very thing that she's focusing on with this character? So the film itself focuses on look but in terms of actual inside substance, there's nothing there? Or is it um, just not there? <laughs> no, the problem, even if it is that, I wouldn't even say that's the right decision because, you know, there's plenty of, actually there's plenty of in there because the whole film is very critical of the idea of beauty, right? It's very, um, it mocks, it mocks the, the Japanese school, young girls, um, their obsession with beauty. Their um, whole 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 thing about um, how to say their pursuit of beauty, and and how they how they mock you know how much they mock uh, uh, when they find out the eco is actually made of plastic surgery they they mock her and they're like oh that's so ugly and they go to shops and, and buy like fake eyeliners you know so that that kind of stuff is there it's a very clear message that so there's something in it it's just the promise everything is very drawn out and you know you know Gawamika it, it shoots most things in long takes and 
and it's actually quite slow. And that's really the problem. It's just the problem is storytelling. It's not really the story itself. Hmm. Um, and but you know, it's really nice looking, and you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. But but he she can't really make any of it engaging for some reason. And you know, Sakura was fine. Was okay. You know, you know, Sakura is not a great movie, but at least it wasn't boring. Um, for some reason, Helter Skelter was really didn't work for me that way. But um, I think we should shift to the good stuff. Um, I said Sarajili Erica, Erica is, is a very contro- controversial figure because actually this is her first um, film role, I think, in three years, at least three, four years. Because um, a couple of years ago when she did a movie called Close Noked, she um, at the press conference for the movie, she said, she actually put on the 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 uh, ugly fa- uh, the the how do I say the I'm pissed off actress face and said there's nothing interesting to see in her movie. So that little press conference actually essentially killed her career for three four years and she's been very um at a very how do I say very antagonistic attitude with the media. Um, she she married her manager, ran off to Spain for a while, and then yeah, she's been a very controversial figure in the industry. Um, so she is perfectly cast as this narcissistic superstar who has an attitude and doesn't really care about anything. Um, and she's very good here. She, it's a very brave performance and it's a really great comeback role. Um, and, and yes, like I said, the, the, I really like the whole idea of the, the, uh, the beauty thing, mocking the idea of pursuit of beauty. Uh, it breaks down the idea of, of, you know, manufactured beauty and I get the message, but I just wish the movie was a little more engaging. Um, Why so is that? There... I, I think there's enough good stuff to TV it, at least see it if you're interested in that topic. But, um, you know, I would even say watch it in HD because it's so pretty. But, yeah, it, it's a little disappointing because I was expecting. So, oh, I had some expectations for this movie. Why, why, does it, why does it garner a Category 3 or adult level rating here in Hong Kong? Is it because cause the, the, the trailer, the Hong Kong trailer makes it seem like she ends up uh, going a bit crazy and maybe starts chopping people up. Um, but you mentioned there's nudity and sex in it, so I'm wondering where does the uh, where does the balance lie for the category three rating? Is it because of more of the nudity and sex or the violence? There's almost no violence. Mm. There's very little violence. Even this, I was I was afraid the whole idea of her falling apart might become hard to watch. But no, there's only one. One surgery scene that had like one shot that could be hard to look at, but everything else is just you know her falling, her her crumbling process is not that. Tough See, to I got watch. a completely different read um, off yeah, of the, the trailer. Yeah, the category three is the nudity, the nudity and the sex. There's some some there's some kind of extreme stuff uh, in terms of the sex um, and some nudity, and that's essentially where the category three comes from. I got a completely different read off the trailer. I thought this was the film that was going to be a little bit more like um, what was the Hong Kong film with uh, Anthony Wong? Uh? Slim Till Dead, was it? Oh, no, no, nothing like that. There's no serial killer. There's no killing here. There's some violence. Um, and that, like I said, the one surgery scene. But I don't think just those those bits alone would garner the, the, the category three. I think it's the nudity and the sex that tipped it over. All right. Uh, would you, I mean, does the film, does the film, is it, uh, is it trying to deliver... Is it a morality play here for young girls, or is it simply, um, is it is it simply f- feeding off of the, you know, current trends? No, no, it's definitely saying something. It's definitely very critical, um, and it's not even a current trend. It's you know this whole idea of beauty and stardom. It's very universal. If you think about it, you know, with the the idea of of how we chase beauty. In, and when how how beauty there's a certain standard of beauty in the media for you to become famous, you have to kind of reach that standard, and the, and pursuing that that's very much you know and I think especially um, applies in Japanese society where you know girls who don't put on makeup will get pointed out by other guys or other girls will get pointed out as like an outcast right away, in that kind of society, um, yes, especially applicable, but um, it's not just you know. A, a cashing in movie, of course not. It's it's um it's saying something that's totally relevant. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, if uh, if you're interested in the world that is high fashion of Japan and parts of Asia, uh, you might want to catch uh, Helter Skelter. I'm I'm a bit more intrigued about it now than I initially was. All right. I think we'll move on and talk about some West screen films. So let me play this. 
Uh, West Green Films. Uh, up first, we have uh, Dread, the latest comic book to big screen film. Also, a bit of a remake of the Judge Dread film, uh, made famous by I Am the Law, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, this is directed by Pete Travis. I think this is his second feature film, if I remember uh, correctly. And uh, he's done a bit of TV work, uh, from, from what I remember from reading up on him. Uh, stars Carl Urban in the title role of Judge Dredd, and Olivia um, Thurbley, if I'm saying her name correctly, as Judge Anderson, Cassandra Anderson, who's a, sort of a rookie judge, uh, takes place in a future world where basically um, the world has, you know, there there was some event that happened, and um, there's now, the world is now, much, much of the world is a wasteland, and you've had uh, regions merge into big megapolises or, or uh, big, these big megacities. And so this takes place in Megacity 1, this uh, vast uh, metropolis. And uh, there are literally uh, mi hundreds of millions of residents in these places. And within these metropolises, there are these huge, uh, basic public, basically public estates where you know, tens of thousands of people will live. And uh, so the story takes place as uh, Judge Dredd is assigned to take out Judge Anderson and evaluate her uh, as, as, a, as a new rookie judge. And so they end up going to this uh, public estate called Peach Trees, um, where there was, a, there was a, a murder committed, and so they're sent uh, to investigate. And during the course of the investigation, they uncover the fact that Peach Trees is in fact the uh, base of operations for a gang called the Mama Gang, and uh, they are in charge of manufacturing this drug called Slow Mo. Slow Mo basically uh, slows the user's perception down to like one percent of normal time, um, which I sounds kind of neat in theory, uh, but I think it's just an excuse for the director to overcrank the camera. Hmm. Um, and so that basically is it. They end up going to this this call, and when the Mama Gang finds out that these two judges are there, they decide to trap them. So they put the building, they manage to take over the building's control center, and they put it on lockdown so no one can get, can get in and no one can get out. And so then they basically, uh, the entire gang tries to take out the judges, and the judges try and work their way up to the leader of the Mama Clan, who's played by... Um, Lena Hetty. So, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. It's uh, Judge Dredd kicking butt and uh, taking names. Uh, unfortunately, this was kind of low rent for what I was expecting out of this film. I don't know. I mean, I know that films that tend to come out in this period sort of after the, you know, the summer blockbuster periods tend to be sort of in that median to lower end scale for, for budgets and things. But I was expecting a little bit more from this because Judge Dredd is quite a popular character uh, from, from comics. And because in part of the artist, the very distinctive artistic style of the character. Um, so some of the things I thought just looked kind of cheap. Um, for example, the, the bike designs that the judges drive, they didn't really, they weren't very reflective of the designs from the comics. And they just kind of looked like they threw these, cheap plastic shells on the top of them. So I wasn't really impressed by that. Um, the Some of the landscaping and the, the way the world looked was interesting, but it was also kind of a hodgepodge of future tech and like old yellow school buses and normal cars and things. And so in, in some ways, it was kind of like what they did with Looper, where it was kind of in the future, but it wasn't that far in the future but then you look at some of the tech they're using and it is kind of really seems really advanced. So it's a weird mixture that they ended up going for. Um, it kind of works sometimes and in other places it kind of doesn't. Um, the interesting thing about these housing estates, the one there in peach trees, it kind of reminded me of Hong Kong housing estates because they're kind of like these self-contained um, levels where, you know, people live on certain levels and certain levels are, have services, you know, there'll, there'll be like a mall level and a, a medical level and things like that. And you kind of get that same kind of design in some of the larger uh, public estates here in Hong Kong. 
Um, the, but these were obviously, you know, huge, huge public estates. And, uh, but basically, yeah, it's, they're locked in and they kind of fight their way up to the top, uh, you know, sort of game of death style, uh, if you will. And uh, so it's very violent, which I thought was good. In that sense, it kind of feels like RoboCop did. Uh, I remember going in to see the original RoboCop and I wasn't thinking it was going to be anywhere near as violent as it was because it sort of had RoboCop kind of, in the initial posters, he looked kind of like a bit plasticky and a bit cheap, but it turned it out being super violent. And this is super violent too. Uh, the other surprising thing I think was Carl Urban. He uh, he does a great job as Dread, you know, and uh, you know especially if you compare him to the the Sly Stallone version. The the thing that I kept waiting to happen that never did happen, and this might be a little bit of a spoiler um, for those of you who haven't seen it. So if you don't want to be spoiled, stop now. Um, but he never takes his helmet off. And I kept waiting for that to happen. I kept saying, all right, something's going to happen. His helmet's going to come off. And I thought, what an, what an awesome actor he is for doing that. Because this is a character that's you're not supposed to see the character. You know, so very early in, from what I remember in the Sly Stallone version, you know, his helmet's off because Sly wants his face to be seen. And this is the problem of a lot of superhero movies. You know, even with Batman and Spider-Man, you get this. They, that they, the actors want to be seen, so they don't want their face covered with masks. And Carl Urban never took his mask off, and it really gave me a very strong impression of the character and him as an actor for going along with that. I don't know if that was solely a decision by him or jointly by the director. They paid him a bonus to do it, whatever. But I think it was great that he, he took that route and he didn't take uh, the, the normal route that a lot of actors take. Um, I thought that uh, Olivia was good, very good as his partner to Anderson. Did not care for any of the villains at all, though. Um, I didn't think that uh, Lena Headey's character as uh, Mama was particularly menacing. I couldn't really... I never really got the sense of why uh, she was the leader of the gang, why anybody listened to her. She just didn't... She didn't seem to have the charisma uh, to me to, to, to lead all these, all these uh, gangbangers, basically. Um, and I didn't really understand what was so bad about slow-mo. Uh, you know, sure, it slows things down, but what's the side effect? You know, I didn't see anybody going through slow-mo withdrawals, or I didn't see anybody, like, you know, their teeth falling out like we'd see in, uh, in, in a, in a movie like, uh, you know, I don't know, Train Spotting or something. But, um, I, I wanted to know more about this world and, and more about these details, and they really didn't get into that. Um, so it does really does kind of seem like just an, a drug excuse to do some fancy camera work, which was okay. Um, wasn't wasn't anything super spectacular. I mean, slow motion's kind of been done to death. It would have been better if they could have given us something a little bit newer. Um, but it was all right for what it was. Um, I, I was expecting more, and I wanted more um, in, in terms of the plot and in terms of, of some of the things we were given. But to be honest, I would really love to see this character again, played by Urban, in a sequel with a bigger budget, um, because I think he was great in the role. I think the character is a good character. It is basically RoboCop, but not being a robot. I mean, he's just basically a big, tough law enforcement officer um, that goes around and gets the job done. Um, and for, for me, there was enough action and gore to carry it through, to carry it through some of the some of the duller parts, um, I think it, that there's there was enough there for me that I really uh, got enough enjoyment out of it. Um, I did see it in 3D, but it, it's it wasn't 3D worthy in any way, shape, or form, from what I remember. Even the slow mo scenes scenes were not particularly impressive in 3D. So if you get a chance to see it in 2D, that would be the route I would recommend. Um, and I'd say yeah, definitely a TV it in in my book. Uh, Kevin, what was your thought on Dread? Um, I thought actually I thought slow mo was it, it it slowly kills someone's brain right by slowing it down. I figured, I don't know. I think that's you don't have to really see the physical effect, but the fact that it, it slows someone's brain brains down, it I don't think it can't be good in the long run. But so I'm they, guessing that they they were never specific about that, so you know yeah, I, they're not specific about it. But anyway, um, and it was shot in I'll talk about that 3D later. Um. Just Dread, actually the original Sylvester Stallone one, it, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. 
you know, uh, I am the law, and uh, you know, uh, um, I don't break the law. I am the law. I mean, that's great. I mean, and 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 uh, what's his name? Um, Rob Schneider, you know, as the annoying, you know, uh, um, comic relief. It's kind of a guilty pleasure, and but it's also my ex- only exposure to the franchise. So after seeing this, I know that damn, Judge Dredd really sucked because <laughs> it doesn't capture anything about that character or anything about that world. This movie sold me on the, why the original Dread comics are probably very good and why the movie the adaptation, the first adaptation sucked um, yes it's violent, yes it, it's stuck in one building and it's you know it, it's really mean spirited and things like that but it, it, it's actually kind of fun, it doesn't forget that it's supposed to be fun it, it's totally self, it's totally aware of what it, I almost said self aware but I don't want to make it like a Skynet it's going to kill us all but yeah it's totally aware of what it is it's a down and dirty B movie and it relishes in it um, I really like the bits of humor um, most of it I think a lot of it from, from Dread has cheap his really bad comebacks his comedic comeback, comebacks um, and the punchlines but at least there's humor and I, I like that there is an arc you know a growth a character actually develop um, with the with the rookie um, the Josh Anderson. I like that there's an arc, then there's a story. There's a beginning and an end. Um, I know people compare this to The Raid because it's the same idea, but yeah, this one is, this This knows what it is. This exact does what it The Raid should have done. You know, it adds humanity. It, it, yes, it's violent and it's about action, but this one has humanity and there's humor and there's things that, that people can connect to. And honestly, if it doesn't have any of that, I'm also just play a video game. So I like I like this is what I like about this movie and like you said Paul um, Carl Urban I like him as Dredd a lot um, the psychic character the the whole idea of of Judge Anderson being a psychic comes into good use and I also like the way that it's used it's not like a perfect weapon it's not used um, even though Dredd really doesn't run into enough challenges I think he he almost finds a way out of anything um, almost too easily and that kind of kills it but. But the, the way that the, the whole psychic angle used is pretty good, the supernatural angle. Um, I knew the whole story before going in because I read about it, so I know the, the whole building thing is fine. Um, I wasn't bored at it by, at all because, you know, I know what, what the whole movie was going to be. I know it's just going to be one essentially a really expensive episode of a TV show. That's what it felt like. Um, and it made me want more. I want more of this character, and I want to see that universe. I want to see Dread take on bigger criminals, bigger... Um, bigger stories um and that's a good thing if it makes you want more then then it's good um unfortunately it did cost 45 million us dollars um i guess with the sets and the the law of pyrotechnics and using shooting in 3d i'm guessing that's what really blew up the cost and um unfortunately it didn't make enough money that, to that and over cranking the camera anybody anytime anyone took anybody took a hit right <laughs> well you know with that digital that's actually they they need i think with Wuxia, especially in Wuxia, they need to buy a or rent a specific new camera system to shoot these things at ultra fast frame rates or ultra high frame rates to make these effects work. Yeah. So it actually costs more money to do those the slow mo effects, especially in 3D. So that's yes, that's new technology for you. Um, but yeah, it's too bad it didn't make enough money to warrant a sequel. I hope it does well enough on video that you know maybe the the producers will be like, hey, maybe. You know, people like it enough that uh, a sequel would do well. Um, uh, like I said, it was shot in 3D. So, you know, the slow-mo... And, and this might be me coming off watching uh, uh, Tai Chi in uh, Tai Chi Zero in IMAX 3D. The IMAX, the, the, the 3D effects here are actually kind of good, especially when they do the slow-mo stuff. But, you know, as always, with 3D, I could have lived without, without it. Um, I would have been fine just watching this movie in 2D, but alas, I watched a morning show with 3D, and I didn't have to pay that too much. So, you know, and for what it was, it was okay. It's not terrible 3D. Um, yeah, so it's actually better than I expected. I enjoyed it more, and um, and I was entertained, and I had fun with it, and um, it's definitely not bad. Um, so I would say see it if it's in 2D. Um, but if you have to, if you're forced to watch it in 3D now, it's just wait for video. And it's actually, this movie's going to play very well on video. I'm, I am, like, Lockout is kind of like the B movie, B movie, B movie guilty pleasure kind of thing for me. So oh, this, yeah, is, like, this is much like better it. in Lockout. I'll give it that. <laughs> at least, at least the graphics. 
Uh, chat room. Um, Marco Spamberg said that every red camera can do such slow motion now, and this movie was shot on a um, was shot on a uh, on a on a red camera. So so yeah, so that's so it, you know it's not very apparently it's not hugely cost intensive these days using a slow mo. Yeah. Well, uh, Kenneth asks about the CG blood, and this is true. If you look at some of the blood shots in the trailer, um, there are some scenes where the CG blood just doesn't doesn't look good um especially if you look at that that slow-mo scene where they're coming through the door in the trailer some of it just looks really kind of cheeseball fakish and that might be because they were going for that effect with the slow-mo or that might just be an excuse um but other scene a lot of the other action scenes are really really um, well done they do have some practical effects in there uh, in quite a few places as well, so it's not all CG blood, but yeah, there's a couple. Of, there's one. There's one scene where the that I remember one of the a kid gets shot through the mouth, and it was yeah, yeah, that was good. It, it was really it was graphic, but it was also not very well well put together. Not very well. It didn't look very realistic. Um, I was surprised they went there with that effect. I was like, whoa, kid. Well, you know, it reminded me of. Uh, Swallowtail Butterfly, that scene. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, I love that movie. That yeah, the scene where the guy gets shot in the face, and then there's, they don't show it happen really, but then there's the reaction shot later where it's like, and the jaws, hole in the mouth, yeah, yeah kind of hanging off. This is like the entire process in slow motion. Um, didn't didn't entirely work, but a lot of a lot of the other scenes do work uh, quite well. So there you go. I I, I seriously do hope, would like to see it get a sequel and get some more financial love though um and a little bit more interesting plot for round two maybe all right let us move on to uh another i, I you know another uh director of uh renown you might say working again in a in a, in a genre uh, overrated sorry yeah overrated <laughs> that that <laughs> so, is his own and that is a uh, tim burton's frankenweenie um, I have long been waiting this film, and perhaps that's part of my problem, because uh, I really loved uh, the short film that he did when he was uh, not a well-known director, and uh, I, so I was anxiously awaiting this. I, I do tend to like more of Tim Burton's work than not, and um, so the, the 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 premise of this movie from the short film. I was really into and excited about. Um, let me talk a little bit about the story. So basically, a young filmmaker and student named Victor Frankenstein uh, lives with his parents, and he has a dog named Sparky. And uh, basically, uh, he his new science teacher um, is this uh, Russian, uh, the, the, this Russian teacher who comes in and inspires him with science. And uh, he's got a, quite a few classmates who are, they're all kind of weird. They're all kind of based on um, different uh, uh, different stereotypes from old, like, uh, horror films. Um, so you've got, um, uh, you've got one student who's, who's very much like Boris Karloff and uh, another student who's like uh, Igor from, uh, uh, you know, the, the Frankenstein films. And so there's, there's a lot of film references here. But basically, um, an accident happens, and uh, Victor's dog Sparky unfortunately passes away, and um, he's very distraught by this. But then he learns uh, in his science class that electricity can stimulate life, and so he goes through this vast experiment, and uh, he brings Sparky back to life. But this does not please the other members of the town particularly his classmates who think that he's going to use this technique in the science fair and he's going to win the science fair. So they want to steal his technique. And when they do so, um, all kinds of weird things begin to happen. Um, <clears throat> so that's sort of the basis for the film. And it kind of is really just typical Burton. Um, some of what he expand this this is a big expansion of the the short film itself. The short film was really about you know bringing back uh, the dog uh, from the dead. Um, so they really go into a greater expansion here to try and extend this out to full movie length. Kind of shows in some places. 
The visuals are good, but not great. You can kind of think of, if you've seen Corpse Bride, uh, Corpse Bride meets Ed Wood, because this whole film is in, done in black and white, but the some of the art direction and the visual style of some of the characters is reflective of Corpse Bride. Um, this really is a film for classic horror film lovers. If you think about a lot of the humor that was in uh, the DreamWorks movie Monsters versus Aliens that was sort of geared, geared for old sci-fi films and riffing on some of those ideas. Uh, th this does much of the same thing, although it's a little bit more directed at old horror films. Unfortunately, Act 1 and Act 2 kind of drag uh, for a bit. Uh, you you kind of get the premise of what's going to happen. You know that certain things are going to happen before he has to get around to you know, uh, resurrecting Sparky. Um, and that kind of takes a while, while to get to. Um, he, they establish a relationship with his parents. His parents are played by uh, Catherine O'Hara and Martin Short. Uh, and, and they do a fine job, but their influence on, uh, on Victor is not really, um, it's not really that present in the film. I, I was expecting some, some more um, moments between parents and and the child. And, you know, much like in a Tim Burton film, this central character is a bit of a goth. He's a bit of a loner, a bit of an outcast. So it's got that very much uh, Burton-esque style characterization that I guess he sees in himself or somehow reflected in, in, in his memories of his youth and that he puts that on a lot of his central characters um, from time to time. So, yeah, the first two acts of drag. The third act really picks up, though, and, and really got me back into the film. Um, one of the key reasons, I'll say, I won't spoil too much, but Sea Monkeys. We talked about Sea Monkeys uh, earlier this week, and uh, here they are back again. So I was happy to see some Sea Monkeys uh, getting some love. Um, there's a lot of riffs on lots of different horror films, everything from Gamera to Gremlins. Um, you know, gets touched on in some ways. Of course, all the old classic stuff like The Mummy and, and uh, uh, you know, Dracula and, and things like that. There's even a little bit of an homage to Christopher Lee in here for a bit. Um, the gags are good, but they're not great. And by the end, things do feel a little bit by the numbers. I was kind of hoping to see Tim Burton show a little bit more daring uh, in this, and instead it just feels like the hand of Disney is just saying, stay within the lines, Tim, color by numbers, Tim, um, because the, I think they really could have gotten a little bit deeper into some of the issues they were dealing with, and they could have, I don't know, they could have tried to be a little bit different from the expectation, but by the end, the film kind of just falls in line with what you're going to expect from a Disney film. Um, there's a lot of Burton alumni here. Again, again I mentioned uh, Catherine O'Hara. Um, who's the other? Uh, what's her name? Klepto actress girl. Um, uh, Winona Ryder. Uh, she plays the voice of the next door neighbor, which is is also kind of a you know a, a character who doesn't get developed very much at all. Um, she seems like she's going to be sort of the romantic interest for the main character, Victor. Never really plays out um, all that well. And uh, so she's here, uh, Catherine O'Hara and uh, Frank Welker, famous voice artist who does uh, sort of the sounds for Sparky. So, uh, you know, some interesting alums. No Johnny Depp, though. I don't know if, you know, if, if uh, people are tired of seeing Johnny Depp in uh, Tim Burton movies or not, uh, but maybe he would have added something to the mm. film if he would have been in a role here. I'm not sure if that would have been good or bad. Um, still, even though I was kind of bored in the, in the first two acts, I'd say see it if you love classic horror because there is a lot of gags and a lot of humor here that you'll be looking for. You'll, you'll catch in the details. Um, but if that's not you, I'd say uh, this is a TV it. You know, soundtrack by Danny Elfman, too. Again, you know, working with the old favorites. Um, I wouldn't say this is a, an outstanding soundtrack by uh, Danny Elfman's standards by any way, shape, or form, but it gets the job done. So, yeah, Kevin, you said you're not uh, thinking, of, you weren't thinking about catching this one, right? I am not a fan of uh, 
Tim Burton, no. So yeah. I don't know if... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to catch it anytime. I still haven't watched Dark Shadows yet. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, It just reminded yeah, I'll, I'll me of that. Or something. That, yeah. Anyway. Uh, better than... I think I like this better than Dark Shadows, but that's the inner kid in me speaking out, so... All right. I think that's going to do it for our films. Let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Uh, we get a, Kenneth in the chat room was saying... Uh, Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter, Carter doing voices. They did not, um, at least from what I saw on the credits list. Um, if they might have slipped in a quick cameo somewhere, I, I missed it. Uh, but they didn't. They were not listed uh, in the credits. Um, so yeah, I don't. They decided to sit this one out, maybe because of the Disney affiliation or something. I don't know. Uh, comments. We did get a comment. Uh, you got an email from Karau. Said, hi, Paul and Kevin. I would like to know what you think about the Japanese film Departures. And I was watching a film called Infernal Mission, and it is a complete copy of the Infernal Affairs trilogy. Uh, I knew what was going to happen and what was going to be said. Do any of you, uh, any, do any, do, do any of you two know how it was allowed to be made? Such a allow how it was allowed to be made. This clone of Infernal Affairs. So let's talk about the first part of his question, Departures. I remember seeing Departures. I remember it made me cry, and I'm probably never going to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I wasn't done laughing. I, I thought you had a follow-up line, so I was like, okay, laugh. Ha, ha, ha. No, wait. But no, um, no it, it's a fine film. It's a very commercial film. Um, it has very good moments of comedy, but like Paul, I since I bought the DVD, I actually haven't seen it a second time. But um, I still think it's a fine film. It has a lot of humor amidst the very sad topic of death. There's a lot of interesting things in there that um, you know, people who don't know about the 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 uh, habits of or the way that Japanese respect the dead, things like that. Very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and I like the film a lot. Yeah. Um, so his second part of the question was Infernal Mission. Um, have you seen it? Do you know of I, it? I just did a did a quick search. Um, it's a Hong Kong film from 2004 starring uh, Lam Suet and a bunch of people. It, not even Kozo reviewed this movie. And no, I mean, the, 2004, that was still when the um, digital cinema uh, or DV movie started oh. coming. A uh, direct-to-video DV like movie started. like Troublesome um, Night 18 or something. Was doing that. Say what? I'm sorry. Whenever <laughs> I talk on Skype, you, you, I, I couldn't hear your other side when I start talking. So even when you start talking, I won't really? hear you. Uh, anyway, yeah, around that time they were they were doing like Troublesome Night 18 and uh, uh, Twilight Zone Tales and things that were all direct to video, shot on video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So essentially, I mean, let's face it, Inferno Affairs isn't even the most original idea anyway. I mean, Undercover Cops, the genre itself isn't all that original, and the movie probably made like five dollars. And it was probably made for ten, so it it was just no one really cared about it. Um, of course, the part it you know the remakes are all officially the the rights were officially bought, and clearly you know people the makers of Inferno Mission probably didn't even buy the rights to anything. I mean, I, they probably paid a lamb suit with a roasted pork. So you know it, it was just one of those you know Wang Jing has made a career out of making. Uh, a copy of other movies that that do their best of not seeming like like a copy, but looks totally like a copy. So he's made a career out of this uh, in the last ten years. So um, it, these things just happen. Hmm. I, say. I don't even remember seeing this on the DVD shelves locally. Really? Does it have a distributor? I, I thought he, I thought the 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 one person who asked meant the Japanese remake that came out two weeks ago, but I guess not. <laughs> I, meets me. Um, so yeah, there it is. Uh, if you're going to pick one of the two to watch, definitely watch Departures, but get your tissues. And if you're trying to 
catch um if you're trying to decide between Inferno Affairs and Inferno Mission, I would watch Man on the Brink. Man on the Brink. How about Man on Fire? Oh, that that one's good. Too. Or Prison on Fire. Or Prison on, on Fire, also good. Man on, on fire, fire, also very good. Um personally I Podcast I, I, on I'm Fire. On the, How about on that? The, uh, on the view that I think Inferno Affairs is is, is overrated. But I, I think I just sorry, I don't want to be now I'm gonna check Law Flame, sorry. Um I, I I liked the first one. And they should have stopped there. That's my thought on it. But. I think the second one's much better than the first one. Really? But you know I, I think the first one is good, but I think it's overrated. Okay. With Eddie Sun. Eddie Sun. Eddie Son come on, Francis Ng, yo. <laughs> Francis Ng owned that movie. Francis Ng and the fact that it's totally a, a blatant Hong Kong Hong Kong copy version of The Godfather. Part yeah. two or part three, I don't know which one. Anyway, yeah, it's just a totally blatant but totally great, well made version of Godfather, and I love that. So that's all I'll say. All right. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, I I think I have uh, nothing additional to add uh, to either of those films. Uh, and uh, in Infernal Affairs, uh, you know. It, it, what is it? What is it that we said uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, Infernal Affairs is so good that it goes back in time and wins uh, wins uh, all best of uh, Hong Kong film awards or polls whenever they're done, something like that. Yes, Infernal Affairs win everything. It's yeah. like the best film of all time, the best <laughs> film of the eighties, the best film of the nineties, best film of the odds, yeah. best film of the next decade. It would still be Infernal Affairs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it, folks. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can catch us out over at Kongcast. Our website is www.kongcast.com, and you can head over there, leave us some comments, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, you can also hit us up on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you over there. Leave us a five, four, th- four, three, two, one star review, and uh, we'd love to know what you like about the show, what you don't like. Twitter, we're twitter.com slash concast for show updates. Twitter.com slash foxlore if you want to hear me complain about uh, the latest iPad and all that kind of nonsense. But I urge you to follow twitter.com slash thegoldenrock because uh, you will get much more updated information about film news and things that are going on. So please do follow Mr. Kevin Ma. Uh, Email, you can hit us up at uh, gmail at eastscreen at gmail.com. Uh, send us comments, questions, um, you know, occasional audio file. We'll just play it here on the show. Keep it short and sweet. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash East S West S. And uh, Kevin will be doing show notes and updates there as well. And uh, you can find me on Google Plus if you'd like to be part of, you know, the movie group, the Love Hong Kong Film Movie Group nights that go happen here in Hong Kong. You're going to be in Hong Kong. You're passing through. Drop me a line, and I can include you in that movie group and let you know when the events are happening and where we're going and what we're seeing. You can catch us on Stitcher, too. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry Android OS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Additional thanks to Rob Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, uh, Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com for keeping us out and helping to arrange movie nights. Uh, the K-Man for sticking with me for 129 episodes, soon to be 130, including a special Halloween commentary that we just finished recording this week. will be released a little bit later this week, just in time for Halloween, for the Korean film blockbuster Sector 7. So look for that coming soon on the horizon. The fact that the movie sucks scarier than the movie itself. What an amazing experience we had doing a full-length commentary for that film. Sector 7, looking looking on your DVD shelves for an alien clone coming soon uh, to a a DVD shop near you. Um, So yeah, thanks to K-Man. Thanks to all you, the listeners, for being with us each and every week, whether you're among the many gentlemen in the chat room, including uh, Kenneth Blue Summers... Mr. Marco Spomberg, uh, Matt, and anybody else who popped in, uh, we thank you for being there. Or if you listen to us in podcast form, we thank you for being there as well. Uh, Next show, episode 130, we'll be looking at uh, the sequel uh, to Tai Chi Zero that is called Tai Chi Hero, which is actually opening tomorrow. 
We will also be looking at uh, the latest from uh, Patrick Kong, Natural Born Lovers. And I think I might try and get out and see the new Silent Hill something something. It's a Silent Hill 2, I guess, basically. And anything else out that we might be covering next week, Kevin? Um, I mean, there were plenty of movies came out. Um, I could still do End of Watch. I can still look at, um, if I have time, I'll catch the Tom Lee Jones film, Hope Spring. I can talk about the Thai film 36, which just pa- uh, picked up the new current award in, in Busan. And um, will actually um, it'll play in the Hong Kong International, uh, Asian Film Festival. All right. So I could we could talk about that. Uh, yeah, there's always movies to talk about. Well, excellent. That's good stuff. Um, so all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen West Screen wishing you good viewing. Get out and buy your pumpkin now, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh-huh.